0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings we have received so far this weekend and this morning, and we pray, Lord, that one more time you would shower us with a blessing. That you would speak to us through brother Dale, Lord. That you would fill him with your spirit, Lord. Give him the anointing, Lord, he needs to to preach your word to us, Lord. You have a message for us through his mouth, Lord, and I pray that he would speak it with boldness and and conviction, and that we would have ears and hearts to hear, Lord. Help us to receive One more time here this morning, what you have for us, Lord, so that your word to us this weekend can be complete. We know, Lord, that you have given us a task to do in following you and in living for you and in preaching your word to the lost. We have a task that is impossible for us to do in our own strength. We are very well aware, keenly aware, that we need the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to do what you have called us to do. That's the only way we can do it, Lord. And so I pray that you would give Brother Dale here a word for us that would inspire us and encourage us to seek the power of Your Spirit for the work that You have called us to do because without You we can do nothing, but with You nothing is impossible. Thank You, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I
1: just want to thank the Lord for the privilege I've had to be here this weekend with you here and uh, to just have a little bit of a part in what uh, God has been doing. Kingdom Fellowship Weekend 2013. We have previously noted in this uh, meeting, and I know many of you were not here the first night, uh, nearly twice as many people here now as were here then, and you did not hear this maybe, but we have already noted that Jesus gave the kingdom mandate to his disciples on several occasions, and at four or five different locations, and all these were post-resurrection commissionings. That is to say that Jesus gave these mandates after he had risen from the dead. The first such occasion was the very evening of His resurrection, and the last one, which is in our text for this morning, was at the moment of His ascension up into the heavens to be at the right hand of the Father. The heart of, his, of our Lord was that His followers of the church would be equipped with power, divine enablement, the presence of the Lord within us, God Himself with us, Christ within us, to confront the hostile and pagan world and prevail against the darkness that is surely to be found there. It's interesting that four of those five mandates use the terms power or Holy Spirit in that mandate, and the one that's in our text for today the uses them both. Now I realize that the Bible teaching on the person and work of the Holy Spirit is seriously misunderstood, has been the cause of contention and obvious disagreement among the people of God. I'm aware of that, and so I somewhat I could I could easily tremble standing here to try to say something about this subject because I realized others could see it differently. Yet I realized, too, that there are several guiding posts that the Bible gives us that can direct our understanding, and we want to use our Bibles this morning and just note what the Bible says about the, the power of the Holy Spirit, not only in the life of the missionary, but you must understand that, as the brother had said before, there is no word missionary in the Bible. There is no such thing as a church church and a mission church. All churches should be mission churches and all Christians should be missionaries and and all of us should be witnesses unto the Lord. And if it's not that way, there's something definitely wrong. And, and so we're going to not, we're not going to have this specialized categorization of missionaries and in this title this morning, we're referring to the, the work of the disciple of Jesus Christ, the believer, the disciple to, to bring and present Christ, the witness of Jesus Christ to those people around him. And I'm going to read several texts this morning. If you'd allow me, first of all, to read from John chapter 20. I want to read verses 21 to 23. This was the first time Jesus gave the commission. This was on the very night of his resurrection. And so I will read then this morning the first and last of the commissions that Jesus gave after his resurrection. But now in chapter 20, verse 21. And Jesus Then said Jesus to them, and they're in the upper room, and this is the first day of the week, and this is the day of His, the evening of His resurrection, and the doors are shut, and ten of the disciples are there. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and saith, Unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, if you would look at the chronology of verse 8, if you put that verse 8 in chronological order, if you would take the verbs of that verse and put them in the order in which they chronologically appear, which one would you put first? And which one would come last? How is, how is, the, how is the order here? And the, and the order of events is different from the statements that are made here. The first one is that the Holy Ghost comes upon a person. And when that happens, he receives power. And when that happens, he becomes a witness unto the Lord. That's the order. And then, of course, you can go further and say how this extends out into uh, wherever we go and how far the Lord takes us. But whether it's Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria is is not the most important point, although that is important. But it's going to be where we are. This, This which happens here is going to happen where we are. That's where it's going to happen. It's going to take place. That is, this power is going to come and this witnessing is going to take forth where we are. It's an, important, it's an important point here. Now, in addition to this, I'm just going to read two more. Well, I could quote it. but We'll just read it. And, and uh, you know this reference. This is a, the, the one that's most familiar to you in Matthew 28. Go ye therefore. Well, I'll read verse 18 with this. It's a very important word here. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he uses this word therefore. He says, Go ye therefore. Why for? Go ye therefore. What is the therefore? It is because all this power is given to me. And teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. Of course, our Spanish Bible doesn't say that. It says, make disciples of all nations. Go ye therefore and disciple all nations. Or make disciples of all nations. That is, make disciples of people in any nation, no matter where. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And teach them then to observe all things that I have commanded you. We notice the word power used very importantly in that verse. You are acquainted with the commission as it's given in Luke 24. I'm sure that many of you are acquainted with that. And I will read here verses 45 through 48. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now this this verse 19 really does refer both to the term power and to the term Holy Spirit because that's another name in the New Testament uh, for, for the promise of the Father, is the Holy Spirit. Now what Jesus promised here, and also in John 14 and 15 and 16, where He four times in those three chapters mentioned the coming of the Holy Spirit, which he called there two names. He called him the Paracletos, which your Bible translates Comforter. And he, he called him Spirit of Truth. And uh, he promised that this, this would come. And that was fulfilled. That happened. That came to pass. was fulfilled to, for 120 gathered believers on the day of Pentecost. But what happened to them on that day did not happen to Cornelius on that day. Now what happened to Cornelius sometime later? happened to him because of Pentecost. It happened to him because there was a Pentecost. It happened to him because because Jesus fulfilled what he said he would do. But something that happened to 120 people had to also happen to Cornelius. I want us to get that point. Now, there are similar experiences in Christ's dealings with us and in Christian experience that have a parallel to Pentecost. Calvary is one of those. Calvary died, Jesus died in Calvary. We have those pictures there in front of the chapel at the SNBI chapel where we've been the last week, the last several weeks. And those there's, there's crosses are there. And something happened on those crosses. And, and, and th- those things happened there that took place. Like, the death of Christ happened there, but, but it didn't happen to me. And what happened there must happen to me. And, and just because it happened there doesn't mean it happens to me. And just because Christ died on the cross doesn't mean that I'm dead. And because Christ gave Himself and surrendered and made Himself holy and completely available to the will of the Father, doesn't mean that I have done that. And because He gave up Himself completely and made Himself of no reputation and poured Himself out in the canosis of the self-emptying, it doesn't mean that I have done that. But because Christ has done that, I can do that. I can experience that because Christ experienced that. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. I can rise. I can rise in newness of life. I must experience the same thing He experienced. He rose from the dead. I must rise from the dead. And I can do that because He did it. And, and, and when by faith I unite with Jesus Christ in that understanding of what's going on and what God is doing to my life because I'm rising up from from, from, this, from this death and, and, the, and, the, and, and the, the, the blade appears and then the ear, the full corn in the ear and, and this fruit comes forth and out of this death. Out of dry ground, this root springs forth. And, and life comes from this death. And the grain of wheat, unless it, it dies, it abides alone, but it dies and brings forth much fruit. And I believe that. And the reason it can happen in my life or your life is because it happened to Jesus. And so though He had the experience and we weren't there with Him when He did it, it's because of that experience that we can have it. And I'm applying that same thing to Pentecost. It's because Pentecost happened that we can have it. Now, I want us to understand that point. What happened... To the 120 had to happen to Cornelius. It had to happen to the Apostle Paul. He was Saul at that time. It had to happen to Lydia. It had to happen to many other people. A Philippian jailer. It had to happen to many people. There were all kinds of heathen nations out there. Uh, There was no Antioch yet. There was no sending forth in chapter 13. There were no missionary journeys. And all these heathen people out there were living in darkness. Gross darkness covered the people. And it had to happen to them. And it has to happen to me. It needs to happen to me. This is the point. I have several points this morning. and I don't want to belabor you with, with a lot of deep theology. I just want to... I really, I really have only one main point. Most of my sermons have only one point, but we try to look at it from several different points of view so we can see it from here and see it from there, and, and uh, that's what we try to do. And, and so we really only have one point this morning. I trust you'll get that point before I'm finished. But you know, the nature of the advent of the Holy Spirit into the life of a Christian, may vary from one person to another. Now I think one of the things that causes confusion is that we we try to build our theology upon our experience rather than building our theology upon what the Bible says. And we don't take the Bible method. Maybe that's one of the things that causes the controversy. But I want to talk a little bit about the nature of the advent of the Holy Spirit into the life of the Christian. And if you would just rapidly turn to Malachi chapter 3, there are three advents here as I understand it. There's an announcement here of three comings. The announcement here of three advents. The announcement here of three things to come. And I'll just read four verses here at the beginning of Malachi 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like foolers' soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Jude and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Uh, And you notice there John the Baptist. The coming of John the Baptist is announced in the first verse. You notice the coming of Jesus is announced in this verse. And possibly his first coming and his second coming are announced here. You notice in this reading, though it's not referred to in this same way, the coming of the Holy Spirit, this purifying fire, this purger of gold and silver that helps us, the sons of Levi, to offer an offering of righteousness unto the Lord, so that the offering may be pleasant unto the Lord, so that there can be a, so that there can be in your life and in my life an acceptable and a reasonable service, so that there can be a a transformed mind and a renewed heart. And there can be a sacrifice made, a living sacrifice, which is a reasonable and holy and spiritual thing for us to do. And we can't do it without the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. No, It may be just as wrong. It may be just as wrong. You have to pay close attention to get this or you'll miss it and not know what I said. But it may be just as wrong to suppose that every Christian receives the Holy Spirit like Cornelius did before he was baptized, which is Daniel Kaufman's view of this subject, it may be just as wrong to suppose that as what it is to suppose that all of us who receive the Holy Spirit will do it as the 120 did, which is Pentecostalism's view. You see, in the New Testament happened in many, many ways. The New Testament says that some people received the Holy Spirit after repentance and baptism. We have that verse, very, very well known. Our, our Church of Christ friends, if they know any verse in the Bible, they know Acts chapter 2 verse 38. I don't know of any verse that they knew better than that verse. And uh, he says there, he, he, he tells them that these people that are listening to him preach on the day of Pentecost there, he tells them what they should do and he gives a very interesting order there in that verse. I will just read it to be sure I have it right. Then said Peter unto them, this is toward the end of his sermon, they had asked him what they should do. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's that's the order he gave here. But we also know that there's at least one case, maybe more than that, of someone who had received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. That's Cornelius' experience. I'm not sure that it is right to always assume that everyone receives the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. I'm not sure that that is a, a wise thing to do. And of course, if we take that view, then we make baptism a symbol of what has already happened in their lives, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, it didn't happen that way for the for 12 Ephesian disciples. It didn't happen that way for other people. And I might have more to say about that in a little while. I'm not sure. But I just want us to notice that it comes differently, that the the advent comes differently at, at times and places. Some receive the Holy Spirit with miraculous outward manifestations. Others apparently had no extraordinary signs when the heavenly dove descended upon them, but there just was a a, a a filling of joy and blessedness and and peace and 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 the presence of God without any recorded outward evidences. For some, the Holy Spirit came in answer to specific prayer and the laying on of hands, and other people received the Holy Spirit without that being the case. The very filling of the Spirit may happen to us in different ways. For some people, it might come like a, like a rush, a mighty rush, a mighty entrance, a, 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 a mighty turbulence into your life, into your heart, with some kind of evidence of spiritual power. And for other people, it's a calm tide rising in the heart in a refreshing confirmation of the presence of God. And there's not just a whole lot of demonstration about it, but there's that sweet and beautiful understanding that Christ is with me and His peace is here. There are people that I've worked with and led to the Lord who tell me, even at the time of their conversion, we we get up off the rug in the living room floor and they say, uh, as we were praying, something just went through me from top to bottom. I'm completely different. I don't know what happened, but something happened to me. Well, I've heard that right in my house. And there are other people that just have a a gentle smile on their face and they're so glad this happened and and they give a testimony and their lives are vibrant and they, they, they can testify for the Lord. We had a young lady she was 14 years old. She's from our village. Her mother was a prostitute. She, she lived there with us in, in the town. We didn't see her very often. And one Wednesday evening, she was at the church service. She, she was there when we got there. My wife and I got there early. She was already there. And she came up to us and said she'd like to talk to us. And so, yes, yes, we'll make plans for that. Well, she explained to us that uh, she was in a very, very difficult situation and sin all around her. and Her life was already on a downhill road. By the time a girl was six, 14 years old in Costa Rica, uh, th- they are well on the way. To, to what they should not become. And they're well on the way to it. And she herself was. And and uh, no, no, she's going to change this. She needs Christ in her life. She she wants a difference. What can we do to help her? And we had a lot of visitors that night. And we were going to have a meal after the church service. So the ladies are getting this meal ready. And my wife and I were in here working with Tanya. And we bring her out. And all the group of people around there. And I say to Tanya, and imagine that. She just got off her knees. She She just had made a... Commitment of of her heart to the Lord. She just asked Christ to forgive her from her sins. She just came up off her knees. She just came out of that room and here's a whole group of people. I say, Tanya, would you please give your testimony to this group of people? This girl opened her mouth and began to speak what Christ had done to her life. And said she never wants to go back to where she was. Well, several years of going by, she's still a faithful Christian. And and I didn't see any great... Exciting things that happened outwardly. But there was just this rising assurance that I'm I'm his and he is mine. Those things happen. And so I'm saying that we can't just superimpose one person's experience upon everybody else's because the Bible has such a diversity in how it discusses this. The only reason i bring this out is to help you to see that. But at any rate, however it happens and however we experience it and however God chooses to bring it to us, The advent of the Spirit of God into our lives is a work of faith. It is true as it always is in Scripture. In all spiritual life and experience, according to your faith, be it unto you. And we have that very clearly recorded for us in Acts 15, when James there, the superintendent of that body of brothers, gathered together to discuss this problem there at Jerusalem. He said, uh, excuse me, that may have been been Peter that said that. Uh, Now I'm not quite sure who said it there, verses 8 and 9. He said that those hearts of those Gentiles was purified by faith. That's the way it always is. Jesus emphasized that in chapter 14 of John. If you you look in there and see how many times as he gives that promise of the comfort of the paracletos, every time he says that, how many times he said that. You notice he said time after time, believe it, believe it, believe it. You believed in God, believe also in me. And he wants us to believe. It's a very, very important part there. Because faith itself is a gift from God. And the Holy Spirit will do in our lives what we believe it will do and the Holy Spirit of God cannot do in our lives what we do not believe He will do. And I think that's one of the things that happens. I think it happened to me. I'm sure it was part of, of my problem, part of my experience, my difficulty. I just did not understand. There were some things about the Holy Spirit that I understood. There were some things I knew about it. There were things about Christ I knew about. There was things about the Christian life I knew about. But there was much I did not know. And, and then you can't believe God for those things. You don't understand that God does that. You don't know that God would include that. You don't know that's available to you. You don't know it. It reminds me of the man in Lebanon County, Pennsylvania. Many years ago, there was a drought. He had a farm there. And he and we went to get water one day, and the well was dry. There was no water come out. That, that, I mean, the water table had gone down so low, no water. So he called a well driller. What's we you come in here, now we best drill a well. We have no water. Now, now get to what I'm going to tell you here. The point is not drilling wells. The point is. That we can't experience it if we don't know it, and it's there and we don't know it, and it's available to us and we didn't know it, and we can't experience it because we don't know it, and if we don't know it, we can't have faith to receive it. And so they were getting ready to see what to do about this well, where's your well now, and how far away should we go from this well? And so someone had the had the thought to go over here and just pull this well top off, pull this, uh, open up this hole that looks down in the well, and see what's going on down in this well that no longer works. And there was a pipe going down from the pump, and it was two inches above the water level. And that thing was filled with water. All they had to do was put the pipe down in another foot. And there was plenty of water there. But they, they would have drilled a well spent who knows what. And, and it was all there. But they didn't know it was there. And it's when we know it's there. And we, and we believe it by faith. That's when these things seem to happen in our lives. Let's move on. The power of the Holy Spirit in a missionary's life has a dual purpose. When I say dual purpose, though there might be 50 purposes, I'm going to give two I'm going to emphasize two purposes for which that Holy Spirit is in our lives. And this now brings us to the very heart of what we want to say this morning. There are those who teach, and I could pull the books off the shelves that have this teaching in on one page after another. There are those who teach that the fullness of the Holy Spirit is a task-oriented gift. It is for enablement for tasks that we need to do. The teaching is that the Holy Spirit comes to us in His fullness in times of certain crisis periods, in times of special service. We ask before the brother pre- preaches. We ask God before the brother preaches that the Lord would fill him with the Holy Spirit. We ask for that before he speaks. That That's perfectly okay to do that. That is right to do that. There are those who feel that if you look to do, at the New Testament, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the life of the Christians that were found there were in moments of crisis or in moments of serious service or in moments of, of deepening responsibilities. And for that reason, the Holy Spirit came, the fullness of the Holy Spirit and this view of things... Is for the enabling, for the task that must be carried out. And there are texts that suggest that. There are these two of them in chapter 4 of Acts. My Bible happens to be open there, and I'm going to read these two verses to you. Texts that would indicate that the Holy Spirit is for times of specific enablement. Chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter. And if you look at the context here and see what he's facing, and see the difficulty, and see this opposition... Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And then he would on explain what he had to say. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost as he was saying that. The same thing happens again in the 31st verse. When they came back to the council. And they they went into their own company. Now look at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the power of the Holy Ghost is necessary for effective ministry and service. And there's no doubt about that. I don't discredit that in any kind of way. But I want to go further. But the fullness of the divine blessing, the promise of the Father, has another purpose. As I understand the Bible. And I want to emphasize this today. The Holy Spirit comes to us to infuse us and fill us with the divine nature. It comes to sanctify us. It comes to change the heart. It comes to change the nature. It does not change our personality necessarily. I often wish I would have a personality like dear friends of mine who handle life so much better than what I do. I often wish that I could be like other people. And I found that after several years that that's a very difficult thing to achieve. I, I found out that I'm still me after all this time. And every time I look in the mirror, it kind of comes back to you. But the nature, the nature. My wife does not want to live with the person she one day lived with. The nature. There's a change in the nature. The promise that we have in Jeremiah, and we won't take time to read all those, that clock races faster than we can go the, in Ezekiel. Those promises there for a new heart, the stony heart taken out, a heart of flesh put in there, a, a different heart. And, and the heart of man is wrong, and the natural heart is wrong, and the carnal heart is wrong. But by faith we have a new heart, and, and you must believe that you have a new heart. You must believe what God is doing in your heart. You must believe that though your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, you, you, you must believe something else. You must believe that this heart is in tune with God and this heart walks with God and this heart hears the voice of God and this heart understands that what the will of the Lord is and this heart is filled with His presence and this heart is God's instrument. This heart is God's abode. This heart is God's dwelling place and though He has eternity, He dwells in the heart of the meek and the contrite ones. We must believe that. And when does that change come? How does that happen? We call it conversion. A change of heart. It's a new heart. John calls it being born from above. Your English, your KJV says born again. That's born of above. If you look at the context, that word above and below, that word above and beneath, is in that context. Re- read John chapter 3 and, and on, on through later in John and see the difference between above and beneath. Jesus said, I'm from above. You're from below. You're from beneath. And just look at that great difference, above and beneath. And here we're born from above. And that's a change. A tremendous change in the Christian life. And this thing I'm talking about, this, this purpose of the Holy Spirit to come to life, to change the man. Yes, it's good to be equipped for, and, and empowered for service. Yes, it's wonderful to be enabled for the task that God is now giving us. Yes, that's wonderful. Praise God for that enablement that He gives us. But, but what, what happens from Monday through Saturday? I'm only in the pulpit for 45 minutes Sunday morning. What, what, what about the rest of the week? What kind of Dale Heisty do we have? And that's what the Holy Spirit of God is for. To do something right there. And that is the reason for Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 1. You may certainly turn to that and in Ephesians chapter 3, but I'm not going to read both of those that wear you out. But we're going to look at chapter 1. And look what he says here. He says he ceases not to give thanks. He's praying here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is verse 17, the Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that's the knowledge of Jesus, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is exceeding greatness of His power to us which we believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead to set him on his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, and that put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things, unto the, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Ephesians is the book of fullness. And I don't have time to show you all of this. But if you go to chapter 3, you see here that he divides his epistle into three parts. He, he, he goes through this in at least two times in the book of Ephesians. He goes through the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He goes through that at least two times, through, through two cycles in the book of Ephesians. And when we get to chapter 3. You might, might, might want to just briefly notice it. I'm trying to decide there what verse I had written. But in chapter 3, verse 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a book of fullness. You go to chapter 4. You go to, and that's part of his prayer too. What I just read to you in verse 19. Go to chapter 4. Look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. unto a perfect man. unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so I'm going to introduce it. You know when you, when you learn to read in first grade. When you learn to read. You have a word there. Let's say the word is grandmother. Well, when a child is in first grade, he already knows the word grandmother. He used that word many, many times, grandmother. He speaks about his grandmother. He might call her some other name. He might call her who knows what you people in Pennsylvania call your grandmothers. You don't say abuela. I don't know what you say. But a Costa Rican would use the name grandmother. They would say abuela for for their grandmother. You have other names you use here. But they use that word. They don't know how to read it, and they could not write it, but they know the word. By the time they get to third grade, they're starting to look at words in their reader that they do not normally use. And by the time they're going through school and and, and, and get to medical school, they learn all kinds of words that they had never heard of before. And and, and the linguistics teaches us that in order to get a firm grasp of a word, you must either hear it or speak it or read it or write it some 50 times before it becomes part of your meaning vocabulary. Now what that means is this, that the more often we go over a point in preaching, the better you will remember it. So I'm going to introduce something. I'm not preaching it now. I'm going to introduce it now. I'm going to talk about it later. But if I introduce it now, you'll say, I think I heard that before. And then you have at least some place, a, a shelf to pull out, and a folder to pull out of that shelf, out of that filing cabinet, and stack this in there. And that's the what you remember your things when you're hearing preaching. But here it is. If you notice in these two prayers of Paul, chapter 1 and chapter 3, and now in chapter 4, he said several times so far in verses we've just read in your presence that we must understand the Son of God. We must have a knowledge of the Son of God. We must know Him. I want you to see Him and know Him. And He says that until you see Him and know Him, you will not know what your inheritance is. You don't know what the Holy Spirit of God is going to do in your life. You don't know what you can receive from the Lord. Until you know what Christ is like, you you must see Him and believe Him and and, and worship Him and bow down before Him and truly know Him. And the more you know Him, the more you believe of Him. And we'll look at that point later. But I want to introduce that to you. But now in chapter 5 in verse 18. He moves from God the Father through Christ the Son in chapter 4. In verse 5 he says in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I'm not going to stop reading there. I'm going to read some more. Be filled with the Spirit. And and here we have evidence and outworking and indication that this is working in our lives. Look what it says. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, being filled with the Spirit. That is the way Christians live, that are filled with the Spirit. I'm going to just show you something interesting that challenged me many years ago from Colossians chapter 1. And if someone in this audience, especially a young man, a young sister, is living on this same street, it may be of help to you. But uh, I was I was younger and and I was interested in spiritual power and, and and what can we do to be powerful and what can we do to be have this anointing and what can we do to to just live with this uh you know this uh high voltage three phase current going through our bodies continually and and what what is this like so that's what I wanted power 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 and uh, I thought that was the important thing and then I read one day Colossians chapter one and read something in there that I could, that's that stopped me in my tracks. I'm going to read it to you. Colossians 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And by the time I got that far, you know, I was ready to lay the Bible down and just... Stay in the Lord's presence until all this happened, until there was an infusing, until there was some kind of lightning bolt, until there was some kind of connection with the uh, with Pennsylvania power and light. Uh, th- th- there's got to be something. And then I read the rest of the verse: "Unto all patience and long suffering, with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father." And I thought, "True, that's the greatest evidence of power that there is." I'd like to ask you a question. You've read 1 Corinthians 11, 13. You've memorized 1 Corinthians 13. You've memorized the love chapter. You know that the Bible says love suffers long. You read this word here, long-suffering. What what does that word mean to you? Long-suffering. Missionary. Long-suffering. How long? Suffering long. How long? And and, and what is happening while that suffering, uh, that long-suffering, while that suffering is going on and going on and, and, and going on? What is happening to you? What is going on in your life, my life? Well, we're suffering, and we're suffering. And this is suffering. It's not not angel food cake. This is suffering. And it lasts, and it continues, and it's enduring, and it's long-suffering. And and, and during that time, there's this meekness, and there is this patience, and there is this giving thanks to God in in all of these things. And we would have chosen none of them, but, but they are the will of God concerning us right now. And we don't know why. But but we say, if this is what you want us to experience, then Lord, just simply show us what you want done here while we're going through it. And it's suffering long. That's the power. I could jump around up here. We could scream and holler. We could probably use some glossolalia. We could probably do a lot of things here. It would maybe be impressive. But my Costa Rican neighbors are more impressed with something else. They're not in the congregation to see how high I jump off the benches during the worship service. But they know how I live when things don't go well at home. When we were burying cows, we have a little dairy farm there. We milk about 28 or 30 cows. I, I don't do it. Somebody else does it. And these cows started to die. and No one seemed to be too concerned. The first cow died. Everyone has a cow die. And then we started digging holes and putting two or three cows in a hole at one time. And the neighbors started coming with their shovels. We started to help dig holes. And they saw this was very serious. And, and it, it was interesting to see the... The attitude and atmosphere that prevailed there is they're digging these great big holes to bury these cows. And while they're digging, they're quiet and they're watching. They're looking around at what's going on here. And brothers, what i was trying to say is this, that we can be ever so effective in the full when we're preaching. But if there was ever a day that I need the Holy Spirit in my life, it's that day. And it would have been wonderful if one of you brothers would have hurried up and gotten on an airplane and run down to Costa Rica and put your hand on my shoulder, put your hand around my waist, to put your hand on my neck or on top of my head, as we're digging the next hole, and would have prayed that the Lord would fill fill His servant with the Holy Spirit while He's digging this hole. It would have been blessing if you'd have come and done that, but nobody did it. I'm trying to make a point to you this morning. Are you understanding the point? If we don't have this part of our lives right, if it's not working here, if it's not working in the daily level, if it has not changed our nature, if it has not changed the spirit of of, of this instrument, then something is seriously wrong. Indeed, may I say this to all missionaries and preachers and workers and School teachers and godly fathers and mothers and all that are present here this morning. Indeed, this is the secret of God's blessing upon our spiritual ministry. What am I talking about? Why the effectiveness and the unction and the power upon the service that we are rendering is a direct result of the spiritual fullness by which we daily, our daily lives are known. The life message. Life message. I do not doubt that the Holy Spirit can come upon us in strong and unusual and dramatic ways at certain times and in crisis, or in times of intense need. I've experienced that. Many of you have. I, I know that He does that. But the Holy Spirit of God has no problem coming upon us at times like that. When it is only the result of our testimony of divine life that we daily have, and faith, and brokenness, and heart purity, a life lived in constant union with the Father, not carnality, selfishness, disobedience. And all of a sudden we shake ourselves as Samson tried to do. Supposing thus that we're going to be suddenly endued with power from on high. It doesn't work that way. And I might be able to work up a lot of ecstasy here in a pulpit or in a public demonstration. But it's the life I live in this daily testimony. That's the evidence of the spiritual fullness of my life. I want to show you that in the Bible in Acts chapter 6. So we must move along here. Acts chapter 6. Just look at it here. They were told to look out among themselves seven men. And they were told in this chapter of choosing the servants to help the apostles. They were told this in verse 3. Look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. And these men who were chosen were not apostles, and they were not bishops. They were not elders in the church. They were not deacons. These were brothers in the congregation. These were brothers that were known among the body. These are brothers that were known there in Jerusalem. And, and you, you look, you look here. You, you go through these benches. We're going to, we're going to take the first, we're going to take the first ten benches on this side over here. And I'm, I'm going to ask all the church in this side right here. I'm going to ask you to go over here and look at these men on the first ten benches. And you come up here and bring me seven men filled with the Holy Ghost. And you go over here and look and you check them out and you find seven and bring them over here. Now what are you going to look for? And they found seven. It's a quality of life. What were they looking for? They are looking for the, the nobility of the testimony. How does that man relate to his wife? The patience in difficulties. The, the, the acceptance of reverses in life without murmuring, complaining, and fussing. How does he talk about other brothers and sisters in the church? That tongue is restrained. That that, 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 that Those ears hear those bad words. Did you hear what Brother So-and-so done? When do you think he's ever going to learn? And, and the brother waits. He's quiet. He kind of looks down at the ground. Doesn't say anything. And then he says, yes, I'm sure glad that the Lord used that brother to in my life two weeks ago. He just cannot do it. He can't repeat it. He can't participate in it. He can't be part of it. Why? Because the Lord's got His tongue. The Lord has His heart. The Lord has done a holy work in there. He's filled with something. He's governed by something. There's a power here that controls Him. And naturally, it wouldn't be there. Now Naturally, he'd fly right back and say, and, and tell the story more juicy than when it came to Him. Exaggerate a little bit on top of it. That's the normal sequence. You wonder why church divides? That's the reason for it. You stop those mouths, You stop that talk. You stop that way of looking at each other and talk about each other. Stop making parties in your church. I wish the elders and bishops would learn to stop that. Talking about each other. So I'm showing you here these seven men had a testimony. that They were filled with the Holy Ghost and not not all people are. Some are grieving the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Some people are quenching the Holy Spirit. They're, They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's possible to resist. It's possible to do despite the Spirit of grace. That, that That's not being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some are faithless. And some are prayerless. And some are worldly. And some are selfish. And some holler at their wives and their children. And some play evil movies in their minds. And some watch them on the screen. That's not being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He won't let you do that. We, we have to do something to the Holy Ghost. We have to grieve the Holy Ghost. We have to put the Holy Ghost in His place. We have to take handcuffs, put them on the Holy Spirit, send him, down, send him down the cellar steps and close the door before we can do those things. We, we don't do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no fullness of God in us when we're like that. We're not strengthened with all might according to His power in the inner man when we're doing that. Are you going to wait till you get to, to the pulpit on Sunday morning, brother, before you bring Him back out of the cellar and put the hands on him and say, fill Him with the Holy Ghost. And you know what power we have here? The power we have here is the power we have there. And we bring that with us when we come here, brothers and sisters. You talk about the power of the Spirit in a missionary's life. Covetous hearts. And then we're going to go up and try to preach on Sunday morning. You see, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in the closet life before we will experience it in the pulpit, brothers. You see, what, what I am, I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, but what I am as God knows me, that's who I am. What I am as God knows me, that's who I am. Now I want to remind you of something that you may have all forgotten. See, it's quite a long time since Friday evening. But Friday evening we heard a very holy question. And I wonder if anyone here remembers the question. And I wonder if anyone here did anything about that question. But, but I'm giving you now the reason why that question was asked on Friday evening. And the question was, are you willing this weekend? Do you remember the question? Are you willing this weekend? Do we ask God to show you anything in your life that does not please you? That's a hindrance to his Holy Spirit. That's a hindrance to your ministry. He can take you to the mirror and show you yourself in the mirror. He can take you to your wardrobe and show you some things there. He can take you to your listening habits and just call to your attention. He, He can take you through your life on a journey and show you. And are you willing? And did you ask God to do that? And I don't know if anybody did. I did. I wanted God to show me some things. I wanted some things to be different when I left here. I came to this meeting really stressed out. Really, you know, just kind of the east spring of a fiddle. Just kind of about the only thing more you could stand. It just was like that. And I needed quiet and and rest. And I needed just to hear, just to listen. Just to listen to that singing. I needed fellowship. I needed to hear testimonies. I needed to see faces. I came here in great need. Dear God, what is in my life that's hindering me? Because we have a work to do. We have a tremendous task to do. We're not getting it done. We have far more to do than we can get done. Dear God, we need all your help we can get. Don't let us fail you by failing in these areas of life. Now, what is the Holy Spirit power? What is that power of which Jesus spoke? He spoke about it several times. What is that power? If I would ask you to define the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, power of the Holy Spirit, and life of the missionary, what would you say that is? It's not so much current. It's not so much TNT. It's not so much hydrogen and neutrons. It's not so much atomic power what do you say that it is? If you would ask God to to fill you with the Holy Spirit, what would you expect to happen in your life? If you want the fullness of the Spirit, what do you expect that to do to you? In your mind, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? That is the question. And Jesus said, the world cannot receive it. And I'm going to have to just simply tell you these thoughts without reading them in the Bible. I want to read many verses here, but we, we don't have time. And I want to go to John 14. I want to go to 1 John and into 2 John. We just won't be able. I'm sorry. We won't be able to do that. I want to take you to Ephesians 1. I want to take you on to John 7. I wanted to show you that river of water flowing out. We saw a picture of it here. I wanted you, I wanted you to see these verses. But I'm going to explain to you what is the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus tell the disciples? And he, was telling, he was telling 11. One of them was gone. This is the upper room. Judas had left. Why did he tell them that the world cannot receive but you can receive? He says it's because the world does not know and you know. Know what? When I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, here's what I'm asking for. I'm asking the Lord Jesus who ascended up on high and giveth gifts to men. The Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and called me. The Lord Jesus Christ who wants to live his life in me. The Lord Jesus Christ who says, I need someone on earth who will be my hands and my mouth and my eyes. I need someone on earth who will have my heart and feel and I have compassion. I need someone in my heart, in, my, in, in this in this earth, that has the patience of my own heart. I, I, I need I need my image to be on the earth. I'm going to choose brothers and sisters. I'm going to build cells of fellowship in the city of Boston, in Marseille, in Don de que State. I'm going to do it in East Kuchaca, wherever, wherever. Istanbul, Nigeria. And what I need is this. I need people there who are just like I am. I need people there that have the love of Jesus. I need people there that have the heart of Jesus. I need the kind of people there that are so meek and lowly that the lepers people, the leprous, the lepers can come up and say, I'm, I'm a leper. Missionaries, preachers, pastors, I'll give you a test. Sinful women, come up and wash your feet. Can you imagine the power of a life? The power of a life where a sinful woman can walk into the house of a Pharisee and start to weep and wash the feet of Jesus with her tears. Can you imagine the drawing power, the magnanimous life of a person that is, is those perfectly pure and beautiful can, can bring in that kind of person and they can feel at home in the presence of our Lord Jesus. I'm, I'm blind. I, the blood just runs and runs and runs. I have leprosy. Take a look at me. I'm a leper. I'm going to give you the test. The test is, when you have a member in your congregation, someone in your village community, that with all the wrongs that they have done that, they, that you know nothing about, and the hidden things in their lives that you have not yet heard about, they feel free to come to you and say, Brother, Sister, I I want to tell you what I did. This, this is what's going on in my life, and, and I need help. I, I can't go on like this. And if I would ask for anything from the Lord Jesus, if I would need the power of God for anything in my life, If I would need the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me for anything, it's because I work with people that fail, that are faulty, that live in a world with great evils, a world where sin and sex is so prevalent. I think Costa Rica is one of the highest countries of the world for prostitution. I've had a prostitute sitting in my house who confessed to me that she could not even speak to the men because she was in a a real hot casino out there in the Central Valley in the big city. And these raw foreigners that had enough money to to get into a place like that, and just the most beautiful ones were in there, the girls. And she could not speak to the people because they they spoke another language. But she made a tremendous amount of money every night. Costa Rica is a wicked place. It's an immodest place, and our members live in that all the time. And dear God, if you would give me any gift, if you would empower me with anything, make me like Christ in this way, that the needy ones, and the worst ones, and the most Seriously, fallen ones would feel free to come and say, I need help, I can't go on living like this. If we want anything else in our search for the Holy Spirit, for power, for anointing, if we're looking for anything else than to be Christ-like, we're, we're aiming, we're missing the mark and aiming a miss. If, if we're not here to represent Jesus Christ, to bear His image in our lives, if we're not here so that He fills us and uses us, that His words come forth, His nature, His Spirit comes out. If we're not here to do that, then why are we here? This is the power of which Jesus speaks. And this is why He sent the Holy Spirit in our lives to do what, what He wants to do in us. And to do this work and multiply it way beyond what He ever could have done. And why do you think Jesus said, greater things than this shall you do? Why? Because it's being done in Algeria, and it's being done in Cuba, and it's being done in Bolivia and Paraguay. It's being done in all around the world. It's being done in Pennsylvania. And Jesus was never here. But someone is here who spent time in the presence of God. And someone is here who has made the Lord for his presence. And someone is here who understands that our purpose in life is to be like Jesus. Be Christ-like. And as he is, so are we in this world. And we're here to represent him. And we're here to be like him. And the person that knows the most of Christ and understands what he was like, that's the person's faith, can reach up and believe and say, I trust you, dear God, that you give this gift to me. That you work that in my heart. This, this heart of mine is cold. This heart of mine is, is turned off towards people. I cause conflicts where I go. I turn people off. I make people ashamed. I make people scared of me. I, I, I don't draw souls to God. I don't have that nature of dear Lord. But Jesus did it and, and changed me, made me different the Holy Spirit of God comes to do that very work in our heart. And as we believe it and receive it, you know, Jesus said, ask and he said, receive. And the receiving is as important as the asking. And we pray and we ask and we beg and we we moan and wait before the Lord and and keep pleading, but we don't receive it. And if we don't receive it, we never get it. Ask and you shall receive. And we know it's God's will that we be like Him. We know it's God's will that this aspect of our harsh and, and crude nature be changed and glorified and sanctified and transformed. That we know that we're not like Christ in this and other areas. And we, we worship Him. We stay before Him. And we see this holy example. And then we meet people along the way. Brothers and sisters who what? The way of Christ before us, and we see in their lives the very example that we are missing, and, and we believe that it's possible for us because we know what took place there, and we heard the testimony, we see the transformation, and so we, by faith, reach out our hands and believe it. And then when we believe it and, and, and trust God to do it in our hearts, we step into that circumstance. And remember, I, I can answer this like Jesus did. Yesterday, I had a very difficult assignment. I would have, I would have avoided that assignment if I could have avoided it. I tried to avoid it. I tried to give it to somebody else to do. I didn't know how to do it. There was only one thing that I had when I went into that experience. There was only one thing that I had with me. And I listen to this, and, and we have to close. I knew that I had available to me the life and spirit and power and love of Jesus. As I walked into that building, I told the Lord this way. I said, Lord, if I can do nothing else here in this meeting this afternoon except love these dear people and dear Father, love these dear people, love these dear people. They're your children. Love these dear people. If I can't do anything else, love these dear people. If you would give me a few words to these people, I'd appreciate it. But if nothing else, we love these people. Then we'd be silent. we weep that we could do nothing else. And wherever we go in life, we must believe that. Whatever our task is, whatever the assignments come, that come up, whatever the difficulties and interruptions and and conflicting experiences that come Clanging across our pathway. I am here. I am with you always. Even until the end of the world. And I breathe on you and I say. Receive the Holy Spirit. And wherever I am and every moment. By faith I believe that he who was one day here is now here. And he who he one day walked before me is now within me. And he who did all things well. Is now here to do his will in my life. And I receive that and I believe it. That I trust Him, and though I am faulty, and make all kinds of mistakes, and forget about it, and go through who knows how much time without having even remembered it, and we come back to that truth. Dear God, I just come to you again for your holy work to be done in my life. Will you take this instrument, will you take this faulty servant of yours, and you put that measure of grace and faith into me that enables me to carry out this work. Bless my wife and children, my neighbors and our friends. In some way that pleases you. So when this is all finished. You receive glory to your name. Because you are worthy. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. The life of the Christian. The life of the missionary. I just ask you to meditate upon these words. As we pray. And Dear Father we thank you for. Truth that is so simple. A life so nobly lived before us. A life that. We will probably never be able to very well emulate in this life. But we love it. We admire it. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that throughout this congregation. in the communities they represent. in the fields of service where these lives will will be sent. I pray that Christ will be there. Because they are there. And Christ's love will be there. And Christ's patience will be there. And Christ's compassion will be there. And the strength of the Lord will be present to heal. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And men will know that God has come. I pray, O oh Father, that the worship services would redound with the purity of lives who have lived for you throughout the week and now gathering together in the assembly of the saints, the presence of the Lord fills the house. O oh God, the glory of the Lord, as a, as a pillar of fire above the temple. and The people see that God is in that place. I pray, O oh God, that wherever we go, as we disperse to this place and go out from fellowship weekend into the surrounding responsibilities of life, that that holy, sweet spirit and presence of Jesus would be with us because you have sent the spirit of your Son into our hearts. I pray, O God, we would be like him. And where you see that we're not like him, then break our hearts, then give us a burden, then give us a repentance, then, dear God, cause us to call upon thy name so that you will save us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.